Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, what would an Israeli ground offensive look like in Gaza? Now, violence has once again erupted in the most bloody and cruel way in the Middle East. The death toll from the Hamas-Israel conflict that began at the beginning of last week has already hit the thousands. That's expected to increase in the coming days as Israel warns it's preparing for a ground offensive in Gaza. Netanyahu's government has laid siege to Gaza since the brutal and unexpected attack by Hamas on Israeli soil on October 7th, where about 1,400 people were killed and 200 were kidnapped. It's been described as the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Almost 3,000 are now dead in Gaza and thousands more are attempting to flee the densely populated area as Israel issues an evacuation order to Palestinians in the north. US President Joe Biden, meanwhile, is planning to visit Israel tomorrow in what's being called a statement of solidarity, but what many hope will be a sign of calmer diplomatic leanings in this crisis. The UN and aid agencies are warning of a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza and along borders if diplomacy does not win out. So today we're looking at Israel's intentions in Gaza and asking what possible shape this kind of ground war would take and what it would mean for Israel and the hundreds of thousands of Palestinians living there. Joining me to do this is our own reporter Niall O'Connor who's been writing about this for us at The Journal. Niall, you're very welcome. Thank you, Laura. Firstly, Niall, I think it goes without saying we're not here today to dig deep into the hurt and the pain and the anger that's out there in relation to recent events in the Middle East. We know there are many people with very strong feelings about who's right and who's wrong here. And we're not going to add to that today. We're just here to look at what Israel may do next militarily in Gaza. So with that in mind, could you tell us what Israel and the Israeli Defence Forces, the IDF, are now saying about their planned mission to fight Hamas in Gaza? There has been some delay in the last few uh, the last few days uh, in regard to getting this ground offensive off the ground but there has been very clear intentions and very clear um we'll say statements uh, that have said that they're going to go in and they're going to launch an offensive and their ultimate aim is to destroy Hamas inside in Gaza um but that would obviously require a lot of troops and they're doing the build up at the moment and i think on the just outside gaza there's about 300,000 troops built up um this will be an operation though that will involve air and sea assets from the, the israeli military um so ultimately what's happening at the moment is a build up but there does seem to be a delay and there is some and we'll no doubt cover this in the podcast there does seem to be some uh, issues outside of logistics that may be delaying the uh, the ultimate attack now, while this build-up, and there is a clear build-up, as you say, along the border and militarily, we've seen Netanyahu's government laying waste to vast sections of Gaza along the last week, really causing horrendous damage. And we know hundreds of civilians have been killed by that. This was done by Israel via targeted airstrikes. So what's been their tactic with these? Look, just for the readers, I think it is important to say that uh, there's going to be a lot of clinical language in what we speak here because we are dealing with uh, military operations Um and there's a lot of, I, I suppose, uh, phrases that they use uh, that do sound quite callous. But what I can say about this is that these bombing raids that are now targeting Gaza at the moment and the artillery fire that's coming in also is all about preparing the ground is what they call it. So they are uh, attacking particular hard points, particular locations that they've identified through intelligence and from reconnaissance. And it's all about making 
it easier for the infantry to get in to particular areas of Gaza City. Now, I might add, Gaza City is incredibly densely populated and all the pictures that the public can see and that we've shown in our piece uh, looking at this particular aspect, they are, you know, the streets are very, very tight. There's a lot of laneways, there's a lot of uh, alleyways. Um, so in knocking these buildings, um, there are also uh, tactical considerations to remove hard points and also then to uh, uh, hit buildings that may be uh, places where they're, they are storing weapons. Um, so that's essentially what's going on at the moment. And that's why the bombing is happening. And it should probably bear saying for the listener as well, there's talk of tunnels, isn't there? Because it's, it's hard to also describe. You cannot get in and out of Gaza like any other region. It, it, it's not somewhere that Hamas just arrived into to, to set up shops. So there's, there's a lot of talk about tunnels and targeting those. Absolutely. Uh, Hamas uh, are very well known for digging and building tunnel networks underneath Gaza City. There is a, a subterranean, almost a, a subterranean city, we'll say. We've seen these in other, uh, this in other conflicts, particularly uh, during the Vietnam War, where tunnels were a critical part of that conflict. The situation there is that uh, Hamas can operate, uh, they can move around the city underground and pop up where they need to, to engage any uh, invading uh, force. And Niall, Israel officially ended its own occupation from inside Gaza in 2005, but we've seen many flare-ups now over the years and really nothing like this before. The UN now very worried this time, saying the region is on the edge of the abyss. Absolutely. And the brutality of any kind of uh, incursion into Gaza, uh, particularly with a lot of the rhetoric that, is, that has been said by the Israeli side uh, in, in the last few days, this is going to be a complete gloves-off scenario for the uh, Israeli Defence Forces. Um, and not alone that, but the the problem is, is that within uh, Gaza City, there are about 500,000 civilian uh, residents. Um, and then there, in the broader Gaza, there's about 2 million. Um, the problem clearly is that uh, any effort to get in to Gaza is utterly complicated by for all military forces because there is a large amount of unarmed non-combatants and that is the civilian population. And no matter what effort they make to move these people out of there, there's still going to be an awful lot of civilians in that city. This is the thing, Niall, isn't it, that you're not talking about fighting Hamas in a war zone. We're talking here about the IDF going into residential, as you say, highly populated urban areas. Now, how does that work? Well, this is this is the, I suppose, the Israeli military are probably world leaders in terms of uh, dealing with these uh, particular sort of operations. Uh, they have a long history of it. But I think, you know, you're you're looking at, there was limited ground offensives in 2014, 2009. Now, I spoke to Declan Pori, the former Irish Army officer and defence analyst, uh, and he has, he took me through how tactically they, they address this sort of work. So the Irish Army, uh, like every other army, trains their troops in this, and indeed the the Israelis are the same. And it's it's based around particular um, doctrines and protocols uh, about how to fight in built up areas. Um, but to do that safely uh, for the troops that are going in there, there's an awful lot of effort made to make it safer, and that's been developed over the last twenty years. Um, and they have you know specific training. Um, facilities they've built essentially what they call little Gaza 
uh, at a place called uh, Zeelum. Uh, there's a, a military base there. Uh, and uh, that military base is essentially uh, a city, a mock-up of the city. And they use particular uh, tactics then to get through that city without coming under fire from snipers. And one of those tactics, for instance, is to blow holes in buildings and they don't move on the streets. They move through the buildings and that's called mouse holing. That's one of the tactics. Um, and also then if they do come to a strong point that hasn't been already bombed by a, an aircraft, engineers will blow up that building uh, and then move on. So that's the kind of fighting you're looking at. Uh, and, and it is clearly, you know, not alone uh, very, very dangerous for the soldiers involved because they don't know what's around the next corner, but also for any civilians that are left in the area. It's it, it reminds me of what we witnessed in Iraq, Afghanistan. Fallujah comes to mind. I know you mentioned that yourself in the coverage you've done for us. Uh, you mentioned also something called the Dahia Doctrine. These are all very clinical military approaches, but again, in very built up urban areas. Yeah, the Dahia Doctrine was invented around about 2006, although I'm sure there were versions of it before then. But 2006 was fairly critical because that of course was uh, the Israeli versus uh, Lebanese conflict with Hezbollah um, now Dahia uh, is a neighbourhood in Beirut where Hezbollah were based um, and to we'll say in their efforts to eradicate Hezbollah in, in Beirut and to diminish their ability to fight back the uh, Israeli defence forces came up with this, this doctrine now this doctrine is all about denying enemy combatants the use of civilian infrastructure. So that's why you're seeing uh, the Israelis targeting, we'll say, water supply, electrical supply. And their justification for this is that, yes, it's being used by the civilian population, but it's also being used by Hamas. Uh, and that's why they're they're targeting it. We can debate all day long about the, the ramifications for that from a, an international law perspective. But that's how the Israelis are operating and that's how they see uh, how they operate. And this, again, it bears repeating, doesn't it? This is not happening in some desert wasteland or open space for combat. Gaza is already hurting from Israel's bomb attacks. It's very densely populated. What is the Hamas response likely to look like here then, Niall? My sources and and also Declan Power uh, basically said that the ground is in their favour no matter what happens. They, they know the area, they have the tunnels built. They will also have a lot of time to prepare that city to essentially uh, build uh, defences and also to funnel the troops into a particular area so that then they can engage them and ultimately kill them. So that's what Hamas are doing. They will have placed arms caches at strategic points in the city. Um, they, uh, you know, they're, they're also, I suppose... They lots of strategies to do with drones, um, but they will also have particular teams that will be have particular jobs to to deal with the troops moving through. And one of those things, obviously, is booby trapping uh, the various, uh, we'll say, points of egress, as they call it, or the the points at which military soldiers will have to move to get to their ultimate objective. And it's about making that more difficult. Now, what the Israelis will do in response is they'll go through the buildings. They won't go to the streets. But they, but they, but Hamas will be preparing and will be trying to, we'll say, trick the Israelis to getting into a particular point where they get maximum 
sight of them and maximum ability to engage them. Now, Niall, we should also mention that there are 200 or so Israeli hostages being held, we believe, in Gaza. Now, they're going to be firmly in the mindset of the IDF forces as they go in there. This is the biggest complicating factor in all this. I, you know, I can't imagine at any level the Israelis will accept uh, a loss of those 200 Israeli hostages. Uh, I think the ramifications for the state, if that happens, is particularly uh, difficult. However, um, the point is, is that you can see beyond, we'll say, the ground offensive of, of we'll say, the conventional troops, uh, there is a distinct chance that uh, there will be operations and intelligence gathering operations now at the moment to try and find out where these people may be. And that will then be for the, the special operations forces of the Israeli military. But uh, but there has also been information now that the US special forces, uh, people like uh, the Navy SEALs uh, and the, the military's Delta Force are also involved. So this is going to be a particularly uh, complex mission. This isn't just a conventional approach. Uh, to to rescue those Israeli hostages, they'll have to find uh, uh, a way to do that without killing them. But it's going to be incredibly difficult because all the cards are in Hamas's uh, hand at the moment. And not only are the hostages being cited as maybe a reason why Israel hasn't rushed into Gaza on foot, there's also talk about maybe weather being a factor. And of course, now we have Joe Biden showing up tomorrow. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, I suppose you could say, and weather definitely always plays some sort of uh, uh, a part in military operations. I suppose the most famous of that is, you know, D-Day in World War Two, where they had to delay the landings by a day because of the weather. The The point, though, however, in this is that, you know, th- these are modern forces, I suppose there is a need for drone uh, operations and they do need good enough weather for those sort of those operations to work effectively so that they can see what's ahead of them and they can also engage. But the point at the moment is, I suppose, Joe Biden coming in on Wednesday, that's going to really complicate things. And, you know, you can really assume, I think it's safe to say that Joe Biden wouldn't be going into Israel if there was a risk of a ground offensive ongoing, because that clearly then you know, that really complicates things, not alone for the Israelis, but for Joe Biden's protection people. And Niall, what about older civilians living there, the infirmed, people who just cannot leave the area? When it comes to any kind of ground war, what are the rules of engagement around civilians on the ground? Rules of engagement are set out in international law. Uh, Article 8 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, for instance, the Geneva Convention of 1949. Uh, it's very clear that you do not engage civilian. Uh, people and you do not engage uh, civilian infrastructure. Now there's a slight bit of a legal complication in all this by virtue of the fact that an awful lot of that that particular article has the word intentionally in it and that means clearly that there is an accepted level of civilian loss horrific and all as that sounds Um, but that is an issue that will have to be addressed. Uh, The military a professional military always in my experience certainly from reporting on defense matters will always make every effort not to engage civilian populations the problem here is that to get any kind of momentum through gaza there's going to have to be indiscriminate bombing there's going to have to be indiscriminate uh we'll say airstrikes and that then gets into the whole scenario of exposing a civilian population to modern industrial warfare 
Now, I have heard and I'm sure we've all heard many analysts since October 7th and the horrific Hamas attack on Israeli soil saying that this came about because there was perhaps a bit of a diplomatic void over the last few years. And we haven't heard much talk about the two state solution in the last decade, let's say, that we used to hear about. Now, we do have Joe Biden going to meet Netanyahu, as you say, tomorrow. Uh, he's saying that he's there to support Israel, but we've got to imagine that he's visiting really with a firm eye on some kind of cooling in the region. He's also meeting with Arab leaders in Jordan to discuss the humanitarian response to events. Is is that something we can hope will make a difference? Absolutely. And in tandem to, we'll say, a lot of the rhetoric from uh, Western states, we'll say particularly around uh, support for Israelis' right to defend itself um, there will also be in the backroom chats a way of trying to find an off-ramp or at least some sort of a way to, a pragmatic way to address this. And I think certainly in diplomacy, uh, particularly with the arrival of Anthony Blinken and the amount of work that he's done now in the last few days, meeting uh, people in Arab uh, countries close by, and also then obviously the Israelis on two occasions, a lot of that work is being done to try and find a way to try and limit uh, this conflict. Um, no matter what's been said publicly, behind closed doors, there is no one wants this to be on their uh, heads if this goes to the point of significant amounts of loss of civilian lives. It does bear asking then, Niall, are they a bit concerned about what will happen on the Lebanese side of things with Hezbollah? Is Hezbollah watching this? We're seeing a fair bit of... We'll say we'll call them skirmishes, I suppose, uh, and some rocket launches from uh, Lebanon. Just so that the, the readers know the, the geography, Lebanon is to the north of Israel. Um, there's a large Irish population, uh, uh, well, an, an Irish group of troops in that area with UNIFIL serving with the United United Nations. Now, in the last few days, rockets have been launched from South Lebanon into Israel. And that's been responded to by Israel with fairly lethal consequences uh, for not alone the Hezbollah attackers, but also a group of journalists that were were attacked and hit. So the the point is, is that Hezbollah are Iran linked. And I suppose anyone that with any level of knowledge of the area will tell you that Iran essentially guides Hezbollah how they respond to situations. Hezbollah is a very, very strong force. Let's not get away from that. They are a particularly developed military force now at this stage. They're uh, they're no longer a kind of a haphazard insurgency. So what's happening is, is that there's no there's no real control from the from the Lebanese government of Hezbollah and Hezbollah do what they want. Uh, and that is a complicating factor. The problem is Hezbollah open a second front to the in north uh, Israel that very much complicates things. So what's happening at the moment now is the Israelis are evacuating people along that border, close to what's called the Blue Line, uh, and they're moving people away from that area. Just, I suppose, out of an abundance of caution, or perhaps they have intelligence, that Hezbollah are going to launch some sort of a large-scale incursion. You could understand our own uh, government's concern then for the Irish troops that are there, so that'll be something we'll be watching. Uh, what what exactly happens if Israel does run this ground invasion into Gaza, do they have to stay there then? They, they've they made it clear they don't seem to have an appetite to be on the ground in Gaza long term again. I have this in the piece uh, that they're not, they're, there seems to be a shelf life on these uh, incursions by Israel. 
they could be 21 days they can be you know a number of weeks uh so they, they don't spend a, a large amount of time once they have the the objective complete that they believe that they've killed everybody that they that they want to kill uh, in this instance hamas uh they then move back across the border um an occupation long-term occupation of gaza is something that will be unending you know there, there will not be a solution to that i think strategically and from talking to various sources, the ultimate goal of this is to uh, destroy Hamas. And I suppose at some point they're going to have to, the Israel are going to have to accept that either this operation works and it gets rid of Hamas, or they're in for the long term. But the problem is, is that placing soldiers inside in Gaza long term that's a guaranteed, unending conflict. Uh, and along the lines, let's be straight and honest about it: if you're killing civilians in that area, you're radicalizing a population against you. Finally, Niall, look, there's been a lot of hurt and anger stirred up within Israel and Palestine throughout the conflict. It's justifiable reasons on both sides. And as I said earlier, we're not going to get into this element of events. What we wanted to do today is take a closer look at what might happen in the coming days. Now, there have been concerns raised from many quarters about the potential for war crimes within this conflict. The UN, for instance, we also had our former president, Mary Robinson, saying there have been war crimes on both sides. So without looking at who's to blame here, Niall, for today, can you just give us an indication of what constitutes a war crime yeah look ultimately um as i said there the uh, article 8 of the rome statute of the international criminal court uh, which is guided and based on geneva convention of 1949 basically outlays it so ultimately what it is is that these crimes are defined as serious violations of humanitarian laws uh, generally violations against civilians during a conflict uh, and this includes taking hostages uh, during wartime um and the targeting of civilian infrastructure um and civilians directly um so that is ultimately what it is now there is a complicating factor in all this and that complicating factor is is you know there are always gaps in international uh conventions um only because ultimately to get people to sign up to them um but look i think there will be, no matter what happens at the end of this, there will be a lot of a big study on what actually happened inside in Gaza if this actually goes off and what happened on the other side as well. And there will be a proper uh, reckoning on uh, the war crimes scenarios, not just for Hamas, but also for Israel. Niall, thanks so much for outlining all of this for us today. Really, if ever there was a time for diplomacy, this was it. We'll watch with interest and see if Joe Biden's visit tomorrow brings any change. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Laura. Thanks again to The Journal's Niall O'Connor for joining us today. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by producer Moira Shakarul and it was edited by Christine Bohan. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.